I thought a great verse to begin our service would come from Psalm 147, or I'm sorry, to begin the sermon. Psalm 147, verse 17 says this about God. He hurls down his crystals of ice like crumbs. Who can stand before his cold? It is freezing in this room right now. I'm skinny. I want fat on my body right now. It is cold. So bear with me for the next hour or so, hour, two hours, whatever it is. The heater is on, but we're not sure what's going on. It might just be pumping out cold air. So feel free to cuddle up the service. We're not, you know, PDA is acceptable today. With your spouse, with your spouse, to qualify that. But we are experiencing that the Lord hurls down his ice from above and who can stand before his, his cold. Uh, my, I just get cold easy. My teeth were chattering a minute ago and I was thinking that is going to be really embarrassing if I can't keep it together during the sermon. So let's, uh, let's pray. We're going to go to 2 Timothy chapter 4. As uh, Pastor Curtis just read, the first eight verses. Uh, here's what I'm going to do. Uh, we're going to go through those eight verses and uh, I'm going to summarize. We're going to see that Paul is calling Timothy to do something. Paul is calling Timothy to do something. And then he's going to give Timothy grounds for what he's calling him to do, or a foundation, or an argument, or a reason to motivate and encourage Timothy to do what it is that Paul is calling him to do. And then we'll take a closer look after we summarize, take a closer look at what those grounds are. There's two of them. We'll take a deeper look at what the grounds are that Paul offers to motivate Timothy to do what Paul, what God, is calling Timothy to do. And then we will end by taking a really close look at verse 2. First, let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we do thank you for this cold day that you've given us. And we thank you for uh, a place to meet. Uh, we thank you for all the, the comforts that we, that we have. And we, or I, am reminded just how comfortable uh, my life is when I am uncomfortable. So God, we do thank you that you have provided so much. God, we thank you for the kids that we have here today that you've blessed us with. We thank you for um, people who are willing to uh, love them and watch them and hold them and talk to them and, and sing to them. And we thank you for the teachers we have right now that are willing to teach them the gospel and to love them and to pray for them and draw alongside the parents who are here today for the good work of raising them in the discipline and instruction of you. So we thank you, God, for these kids. We pray that their time this morning would be blessed. We pray that you would continue to draw little hearts to you. And we thank you for all these big hearts, God. We thank you for those that you have drawn in here, into this room, to hear now the preaching of your word. And we pray that your will would be done. That you would take your word, that you describe as a sword, and you would cut through our spiritual indifference, that you would cut through our sinfulness, that you would cut through our selfishness, that you would cut through our delusions, and you would expose the sinful motives and beliefs that are deep within us. And you would confront us, God, with your truth. We pray that your Holy Spirit would powerfully wield your word, his sword, so that the bad would be done in us and the good would be done in us, that you would expose our sin and bring the bad news to bear, but you would also bring your good news to bear on us in our hearts, that you are not only a just God, but you are a good and merciful God who extends grace to undeserving sinners, the likes of which we have in this room right now. So, may your word go out now, Lord, and not return 
and void, but return doing a good work in the hearts of your people. We do pray this in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. Second Timothy chapter 4. Let's start with verse 5. If you skip down to verse 5, uh, we will see Paul's main point in the text. So whenever you're reading Scripture, whenever you're reading a passage, a chapter, a text, you want to be asking yourselves, what is the main point of this text? And there always is a main point. And then there will be other things that you're going to read that are going to support that main point. Just like when you write a letter, you have a main point. You may not even realize you have a main point, but you do. And then you have supportive words to get across your main point. It's no different in the Bible. So in verse 5, right in the middle of verses 1 through 8, we see what it is that Paul mainly wants to communicate to Timothy when he says, as for you. Okay, and we're going to see that he said some other things first. And now he's saying, therefore, based on what I've already told to you, Timothy, as for you, always be sober-minded, endure suffering, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. We're going to first look at verses 5 through 8 here. Okay, and the main thing that Paul is saying to Timothy is, Timothy, I want you to fulfill your ministry. And then if we read on, because, to summarize now, verses 6 through 8, which we'll take a closer look at again soon. But he's telling Timothy, fulfill your ministry because, Timothy, I have done what I am telling you to do. Fulfill your ministry, Timothy, because I have fulfilled my ministry. Let that be an example to you, Timothy. I have finished my course. I have fought the good fight. And I want you to know, Timothy. This is what Paul is saying. Timothy, I want you to know, as you have your ministry in front of you, I want you to know that if you fulfill your ministry, it will be worth it. Because I'm telling you, on the back end of this, Timothy, I have fulfilled my ministry, and I can tell you now, it is worth it. It is worth it to finish the course, to cross the finish line, to fight the good fight, to keep the faith. It is going to be worth it. There is something great in store for you, if it's conditional. There is something great that is in store for you and in store for all of you as Christians if you finish well. If you fulfill the ministry that God has given you. So the main thing that he's calling Timothy to do is to fulfill your ministry, which includes, verse 5, which includes be sober-minded, endure suffering, do the work of of an evangelist. So included in fulfilling his ministry for Timothy is that he be sober-minded, that he think well, that he endure suffering. We know this. Paul has returned to this over and over and over again. And that he do the work of an evangelist. That's what he's saying in verse 5. Timothy, fulfill your ministry. Do the job God has given you to do. All of you have been given jobs to do by God. Okay, you've been given jobs to do uh, by yourself. You've been given jobs to do by your employer. You've been given jobs to do by other people. And you've been given jobs to do by God. And you need to figure out what jobs God has given you to do. And you need to make sure that you fulfill those jobs that God has given you to do. Not your agenda, not someone else's agenda, unless it fits within, or ask yourself, how does it fit in with what God has called me to do? Because that is the ministry that you and I need to be about, that we need to fulfill. And then as a, an argument, Paul gives him here, to do this, verses 6 through 8. This is Paul's argument from his experience. And he's saying this, Timothy... Fulfill your ministry 
Because I have fulfilled my ministry and it's worth it. It's like what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 9.24. In 1 Corinthians 9.24, Paul says, Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one receives the prize? So run that you may obtain it. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things, and they do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. So as Christians, we are after something. Paul is almost ready to take hold of it. And everything that he's been through, the fulfilling of his ministry has been well worth it. And so he argues, Timothy, fulfill your ministry, because I can tell you, here I am on the other side, it's worth it. Now look back at verses 1 through 4. That was 5 through 8. And in verses 1 through 4, here we are, we're summarizing the text here. In verses 1 through 4, it it gives us a couple things. One, it gives us more insight into the particulars of what Paul means by fulfilling Timothy's ministry. He gives more insight into what he means by fulfill your ministry. And as well in verses 1 through 4, there's another argument. You see it there? Another argument for why Timothy should press on and fulfill his ministry. So first, in verses 1 through 4 here, look at verse 2. Because in verse 2, we have insight and some particulars regarding fulfilling your ministry. This is what Paul means. Verse 2. Preach the word. What does it mean, Timothy, for you to fulfill your ministry? It means that you preach the word. Which is the, the main the main aspect of fulfilling the ministry, I believe, that Paul is giving to Timothy. He says, preach the word. He also says, be ready in season and out of season. What he's telling Timothy is preach the word, whether you feel like it or whether you don't feel like it. In season and out of season. You're going to go through seasons where you want to preach the word. You're going to go through seasons where you want to study the word. You're going to go through seasons where you want to read the word. You're going to go through seasons where you want to bring up God's word and you want to tell others about God's word. And if you have people who will listen, you want to teach them about God's word. You've experienced those seasons and you've experienced seasons where you don't want to read God's word, where you don't want to study God's word, where you don't want to meditate on God's word, where you don't want to speak God's word. Okay, and God says, get over it. God doesn't say, I'm sorry you're going through that right now. I'm really sorry that you don't have a desire in your heart right now. I'm really sorry that you're going through a tough season where you don't want to preach my word. You just wait it out. God doesn't say this. Just, Just wait it out. And maybe eventually, maybe eventually you'll feel like it. And when you feel like it, then, you know, then, then read my word. God doesn't say, listen, I don't want you to read my word unless you want to. I want you to do it because you want to do it. I want you to love me because you want to love me. And if you're not feeling it when you're doing it, I know that. and It doesn't feel as good. And I don't want that. God doesn't say that. He says, get over it. Because I don't care how you feel. Read your Bible. Study your Bible. You know what? You're never going to feel like doing it if you don't do it when you don't feel like it. You're not just going to not read God's... I don't really feel like reading God's Word and it would be a disservice to Him to read it when I don't really want to. I mean, that's not... I mean, do you, have you, I've told myself things like that. Well, if I just read it, God, I'm just reading the words and these aren't just words and so I, it's best I don't read it right now. What a stupid thing to tell yourself. And it's Satan, right? So what is the logic behind that? So I'm going to wait. And when I'm really passionate about it, then I'm going to read it, God. Because I want it to really mean something. And so in the meantime, you go days, you go weeks, and you don't read God's Word. And you start to want to less, not more. You're not just sitting there getting unfamiliar with God's Word. And you decide out of the blue, now I want to read His Word. So you push through it. I mean, do you do that with your husband and wife? Like, you know, I'm not going to love you today because I'm not really feeling it. Does she appreciate that? I'd rather you not. I'd rather you not. You know, I'm not going to go to work today. 
I know we need money, and I know that's the way that I love you, but I'm just not feeling it right now. Does your wife look at you and say, oh, okay, yeah, honey, I don't want you to do it if you don't want to do it. I want you to desire to do it, so stay home. Don't worry about it. Does your wife talk to you that way? She doesn't. Do we withhold affection and love and fulfilling our marital duties just because we don't feel like it? I really hope not. I really hope not. And so sometimes it's going to be duty and sometimes it's going to be delight. But in season and out of season. For Timothy as a preacher, Paul says, I don't care if you, you don't want to study your Bible this week. You're not allowed to go to Yahoo and download a sermon Saturday night. You need to preach the word whether you want to or not. In season, out of season. He gives more of a description of what he means. Reprove, rebuke, exhort. And, and what's the manner in which he is to do that? With complete patience and teaching. With complete patience and teaching. So all that is in verse 2, it is more insight into Paul's main point, his main imperative, his main instruction in verse 5. Timothy, fulfill your ministry. Okay, and he gave one reason to do that, an argument in verse 6 through 8. Fulfill your ministry because, Timothy, I've fulfilled my ministry and it's worth it. And now here in verses 3 and 4, he gives a different argument than verses 6 through 8 of why Timothy should fulfill his ministry it's not because there's a great reward awaiting him but it's because great opposition awaits him two different arguments verses six through eight is fulfill your ministry because there's a great award that is awaiting you but verses three and four is fulfill your ministry because great opposition awaits you he's saying this fulfill your ministry in other words verse two preach the word because For, what does it say? Verse 3, the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. So let's make sure we have a handle. Let's summarize verses 1 through 8. Paul is saying, Timothy, fulfill your ministry, which includes, verse 5, be sober-minded, endure suffering, do the work of an evangelist. And verse 2, preach the word, be ready in season and out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort, and do all of that with complete patience and teaching. Timothy, do this, fulfill your ministry. And then two arguments. Then two arguments for Timothy to fulfill his ministry. Positively, what he says in verse 6 through 8, your ministry, specifically and most importantly, preaching the word. Okay, do that because I have fulfilled mine and it will be worth it. Paul is saying. And then his second argument, which we have in verses 3 and 4, he's saying fulfill your ministry. Okay, preach the word because the day is coming. Timothy, the day is coming when people will not love and will not accept your teaching and they will leave your church. Now, pastors understand why that is a needed argument for preaching the word. He says, Timothy, listen, you're just starting off right now. Okay, I know you've got some false teachers, but he's probably also got a, a band of sweet old ladies that's following him around. And he says, Timothy, we love you. You're, you are the greatest thing to ever happen to this church. And you are such a wonderful preacher. And my, get, how old are you? 30? My goodness, Timothy, you are just 30. You have your whole world ahead of you. I just, I can't even begin to fathom what God is going to do through you. You are a gifted and amazing teacher. And Paul says, that's going to end. Okay, those sweet old ladies, they're not going to be sweet old ladies in a couple months. Because there's going to come a time, Timothy, okay, more and more, people aren't going to love what you say. And they're not going to accept what you say. And people are going to leave. And some of the people who say they love your teaching are going to turn their back on you and they're going to follow other teachers. This has happened. This has been a personal experience of mine with more people than I can or care to count. Okay, I've almost had an entire church empty out from underneath me while I preached. 
And it's good to have encouragement in Scripture that says, keep going and keep preaching the Word, because what else did you expect? There's going to come a day where people aren't going to love, they're not going to accept it anymore, and they're going to leave your church. Now, the temptation is, when that happens for Timothy or any person, the temptation is, well, I don't like this, this doesn't feel good, and I want to please people, and I want to be accepted, and I want to be loved, and I want to be praised, and I want to be adored. So the temptation will be to compromise and to not preach the word. What would you like me to preach? Let's do a vote. Let's do democracy. Let's do a vote. What would you what would you like the next series to be? We should do that. I wonder what you guys are great. You'd be like Genesis. You know. <laughs> verse by verse. Let's take twenty years to do it. We're ready. Well, some churches might not. So he tells Timothy, Timothy, listen, it's gonna happen. Okay, people are going to leave and they're going to surround themselves with teachers who say exactly what they want to hear. And right now it may sound good because it's kind of a novelty and it's different and it's exciting. But when they really start to actually hear what you're saying, they're going to say, no, thank you. I've had people who said, I've had people who just have just been some of my greatest complimenters leave. People who have said, the, the preaching that I hear from you is unlike anything I've ever heard. And the, the way that God has used your preaching in my life is, is, is unprecedented in my life. And I've had those people turn away and leave the church because of my teaching. Now that's difficult. And that's painful. And you're going to experience that with just with people in your life. If you're going to speak the truth, even if you speak the truth in love, you're going to have people who are going to distance themselves from you. And there will be a temptation to try to keep them close by not speaking the truth. Or for Timothy, by not preaching the word. So he says, Timothy, you've got to do that. Because people are going to love what you say until they start thinking about what you're saying. I mean, I've experienced where I've heard sermons says that, that is, wow, this is good. This is good. And then I meditate on it and I think, I hate that. I mean, it's good, right? Because I was, I was running on Holy Spirit adrenaline and he was digging it and he was liking it and he was enjoying it. And I knew it was truth. But then I started to think about the implications for my life and now I hate it. Yeah. Now I don't like it. Now I want to run from it. This is going to happen. You're going to preach the word to people. You're going to teach the word to people. There's going to be some people who are going to love it. They're going to say, this is great. Keep it coming. And then all of a sudden, they're not going to return your phone calls anymore. Because the implications of what you're saying are coming to bear on their life. So you've got to do it in season and out of season. Okay, so these are the, the arguments that Paul gives to Timothy. Now, let's look at those arguments a little closer. Let's look at that first one. Verses 6 through 8. Look with me at verses 6 through 8. All right, this is the, 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 the positive argument. Okay? Keep doing what you're doing, Timothy, because listen, look at my life. There's something good that's going to happen for you if you do this. You're going to get a reward at the end of this. And he breaks it down and he says, look at, look at my life, Timothy. Look at my present, my past, and my future. First, his present, verse 6. For I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure has come. So he's talking about my life right now. Here's where I am. My life, I'm being poured out as a drink offering. Which is a, so he's using Old Testament sacrificial language. He's saying, my life right now is a living sacrifice. But what does he say? He doesn't say, I'm laying down my life. He doesn't say that I'm pouring out my own life as a drink offering. He says, this is something that's happening to me. I'm being poured out as a drink offering. I'm being sacrificed. My life is being laid on the altar for others. And and I'm not doing that. God is doing that. I'm being poured out by God. This is his present condition. This is what God is doing right now in his life. Verse 7, he reflects on the past. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. This is what you want to say when you're dying. If you're afforded a period of time before you die, you want to be thinking like this. 
You want to be able to say this to yourself. Some of you are just going to get hit by a bus. You're not going to have any time. But some of you are going to have time. You're going to see the end of your life coming. It's going to wind down. It's going to be age. It's going to be sickness, whatever it is. But you're going to see the finish line. Like Paul. In prison. And you're going to want to be able to say what Paul says, looking back on his life. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. He says, literally, I have finished the course. I finished the course. Hebrews 12.1 Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. What that means is that all of us have a course. So it's not just a race. It's not just get from point A to point B. It's a course, which means it's a, it's a specific path that God has for all of you. He doesn't just say, okay, here's the finish line and just get there any way you can. Just cross it. Good luck. He gives us a specific course. And all of us are going to have very different courses. And Paul reflects back and looks at his course and says, I have followed the course. Or Acts twenty twenty four. I do not account my life of any value nor as precious to myself if only I may finish my course. And the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus and testify to the gospel of the grace of God. Some of you are going to have uphill courses. Some of you are going to have downhill courses. Some of you it's going to be pretty flat. Some of you are going to have a lot of turns. Some of you aren't going to have a lot of turns. For some of you, your course is going to be warm. For some of you, cold. Some of you are going to have a lot of rain. Some of you aren't going to have any rain at all. We're going to have different courses. And our job, fulfilling the ministry that God has given us, is to run the course that He has given you. Some of you just don't like your course. And some of us struggle with embracing the course. God, this is not what I had planned. This is not how I envisioned my marriage to go, my, my midlife to go, my career to go, my finances to go, my family to go. This is not how I planned these things to go. Well, of course not. Because you, you know as well as I do that when you're planning the course of your life, you plan everything to go well and perfectly. You don't plan not to get the job. You don't plan to lose the house. You don't plan for the marriage to end in divorce. You don't plan for your kids to grow up and not love Jesus. You don't plan these things. But sometimes by God's providence, that He takes you on a course that is very different than the course that you would have chosen. And you and I must love that course and pray that God would help us to embrace that course and follow that course and stay true to that course. To accept the fact that we really have no control. But we're always talking about that. We're always talking about that. Because as Americans, we have so much control over everything. We just control everything. We just control what, what we do with our money. We control what we do with our time. We control what we eat at the restaurant. We, control, we just control, control, control. Control what channels we have. Control what radio stations. We just, nothing happens to us as Americans. We think we control everything. We want to control God. We want to control the course for our life. And it doesn't go the way that we want it to go. It's very frustrating. And so we want to spend our time trying to control the people around us and to control our circumstances and to control situations to make the course go that we want it to go instead of just saying, no, this is the course that God has given me. My job is not to control it and take it this way and that. My job is to be faithful in this course. I'm going to make my plan and then God's going to direct my steps and it is my job to be faithful to fulfill my ministry. So if your life hasn't turned out the way that you would have liked it to have turned out, if your course has gone in some ways that, that are unpleasing to you, that's okay. That's okay. The question is, are you going to be faithful right now where God has you? And are you going to fulfill your ministry? Are you going to, whether you're eating, drinking, whatever you're doing, enjoying your job, looking for a job, are you going to do everything to the glory of God? 1 Corinthians 10.31 and are you going to honor God? 
This is what he's calling Timothy to do. Look at me, Timothy. I finished the course. And there's great, great reward here. Now, verse 8, he looks at the, the future, the reward. Henceforth, all right, remember, Timothy, fulfill your ministry. Why? Here I am at the end of my ministry. It's worth it. Here's the big one, verse 8. Here's what Paul's looking forward to. Henceforth, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only to me, but also to all who have loved His appearing. So Paul says there's a crown that goes to those who fulfill their ministry. You know, there's... I'm still trying to understand this in God's Word. But there are rewards given out to Christians. I mean, there's the big one, like heaven, and an inheritance eternal life. I mean, that's the reward that all believers get. But then there's other rewards that are given out. I don't understand how that works. But it's true. And there are rewards that are given to people like Paul. And Paul wants Timothy to be one of those guys. There are rewards given to those who fulfill their ministry, who fight the good fight. The good fight of what? Faith. See, faith weaved through here. Those who fight the good fight of faith, who finish the race, the race of what? The race of faith and who keep the faith. So what he's saying is, Timothy, okay, fulfill your ministry. In other words, uh, another way of saying that is keep the faith. Be faithful in all that you do. Keep a life of faith because if you do that and trust Jesus, that will be rewarded. That will be rewarded. And Paul says it's not just for me, but it's for others who keep the faith. Verse 8, for those who have loved His appearing. So just hear Paul describing in different ways what this means. Fulfill your ministry in verse 2 and verse 5 and, and all that is. Okay, Fight the good fight. Keep the faith. Here's another way that Paul says that. Those who are doing that, ask yourself this, are those who loved His appearing. And if you love His appearing, you also will be rewarded on that day. The question for us is, do we love His appearing? And what, what does that mean? And do we love it? Do we love His appearing? This is what we're celebrating in December, right? We're celebrating that Jesus appeared once and, and we're looking forward to Jesus appearing again. We love His appearing. We're so thankful that Jesus came. And we sing songs because we're happy that Jesus came. We're so glad that He appeared. That Jesus appeared. Not the benefits. Not the gifts so much as the benefactor and the giver. We love, do you? This is what we're saying. Do you love Jesus? Do you love Jesus? That is a way to really sift out just religion and legalism. And I'm here to just cross things off my list and gain God's approval it sifts all of that out and helps us to see in us and others who the real Christians are. Do you love Jesus? Are you doing the things you're doing because you love Jesus? Are you obeying Him because you love Him? Is it out of a heart of gratitude? Or do you just do things fear-based? So I'm just going to be a really good person because God saves good persons. And I'm going, to, I'm going to be in church. I'm going to be around those people who seem to be moving in the right direction so that I'll just be included with them. Okay, do you think that you can earn God's salvation and that's what you're trying to do? Or do you do these things? Are you here? And, and, and do you give your time? And do you give your money? And do you give your heart? And, and do you love God's people? And do you sing the songs? And do you listen to preaching? Do you do that? Here's the question. Because you love Jesus. Are you counted among those who loved 
His appearing. Do you want Jesus? Those who love His appearing. We today should be a people who are saying, right, and praying to Jesus, come quickly. And we want Jesus to come quickly because we want Him. We want to be with Him. We want to see Him. I mean, yes, we want sin to end. We want no more tears. We want all these things that He will bring. But we want Jesus. Now we love all the things that He's going to do. We love Jesus. Do you love Jesus? Do we delight in Christ? Do we desire Him? Do we enjoy Him? Do we want Him? Do you love Jesus above all things? Paul says that for those who do, who love His appearing, there is waiting for you a great reward if you fulfill your ministry. And so that's his first positive argument for Timothy to keep going. And then the other argument in verses 3 and 4. The, the negative argument. Okay, he motivates him not because of the reward that's awaiting you, but he motivates him by reminding him of the opposition that is awaiting him. The time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and they will wander off into myths. And so this is a challenge to the preacher and those who are being preached to. So to Timothy, right? Timothy, he's saying, keep preaching. Obviously. Preach the word. Timothy, not everybody's going to like it, but... Keep preaching, preachers. And to the congregation, the admonishment is take warning. So preachers, keep preaching. Congregation, take warning. See what congregations are going to do. And and know that you and I, we're not above that. That we're not beyond that. That we're somehow beyond being susceptible to. To that, have, have you not been a Christian long enough to see people you never thought would do that, do that? Some of you have, and it was good for you to see that. Because now when you read this verse, you don't say, well, thank goodness, Lord, thank you for not making me like one of those people with itchy ears. You don't pray like that anymore. You pray, God, keep me from going somewhere else to satisfy my itching ears. Because all of your ears itch. My ears itch. And God's Word does not scratch your ears. It doesn't satisfy what your ears, what your flesh want to hear. It satisfies something else. It will not suit your passions and your desires and what you want. It won't satisfy that. So if you want to scratch your ears, and if you want to satisfy that itch, oh, there are things I just want to hear from a preacher, and there are just things that would make my life easier, and there are things that would be so much more encouraging, I think, and there are things that, that I just would love here, you can go and you can find those things very easily. You can find churches and you can find podcasts and you can find blogs and you can find books and you can find religions and you can find people who will say exactly what you want them to say. Exactly what we want them to say. Jeremiah 5.31 The prophets prophesy falsely and the priests rule at their direction. My people love to have it so. That's what God says about us. Let me read that again. About false prophets and false teachers. That's not a new thing. That's not just like in America where we give every, anybody a book deal. Now that's a problem. It's always been a problem. And the prophets prophesy falsely. And the priests rule at their direction. My people love to have it so, but what will you do when the end comes? So God says there are people out there 
prophets always has been who are teaching falsely and giving you false information. And then you've got pastors who are following their direction and ruling people and churches exactly the way that false teaching says. And God says, and there's people out there who say they're my people who love it. Just eat it up. I love this church. I love this pastor. I love this teaching. And God says, it's false. It's, it's wrong. It's evil. It's wicked. And my people love it. It should frighten you. And then what does God say? What's his question? But what will you do when the end comes? What will you do when your time's up? And you exchange the truth of God for lies. This is true when we read God's word. This scripture is, is true for today. Are you, you've heard this quoted today. This itching ears. You, you, you're familiar with this, right? People don't like preaching. People don't like preaching. Regenerate people like preaching. Sinners do not like preaching. Repentant sinners like preaching. The difference from, for those of you who are Christians, right, the difference between you and everyone who's not a Christian is not that they're sinners and you are not. The difference is you are a repentant sinner. You're a sinner who doesn't want to go that way. And you want to go to God. A repentant sinner loves preaching. It hurts. He doesn't always like it. Doesn't always want to hear it. But he loves it. He comes and he hears the preaching and it's painful. Just painful. Just like a bow and arrow up here. Just arrows are getting shot. You're getting hit in the head. You get dizzy sometimes. Right? Forget where you are. Stumble out. I mean, I see you sometimes. Like, stumble out of here. Barely make it to your car. Just wrecked. Wrecked for six days. And then guess what you do? You come back. You come back. Like, that was, that was really painful. Let's do it again. <laughs> That's kind of weird, right? Doesn't make a lot of sense. Like, gluttons for spiritual punishment. Like, oh my gosh, I've never heard anything like that before. Just my, my, I feel like my life is being turned upside down and you know, there's so many things I need to do and so many things I need to change and I can't believe how sinful I am and how wicked I am and how wretched I am. And when do we get to hear that again? <laughs> right? And you just keep coming back over and over again. That's a good sign. That's a good sign. People don't like preaching. Regenerate people like preaching. The Holy Spirit within them likes preaching. Sinners do not like preaching, but saved sinners like preaching. Repentant sinners like preaching. There are many things that we don't like in our flesh. People want short sermons. Some of you want short sermons. I don't know why you're still here, but some of you <laughs> would like to have short sermons. You know, the average sermon in the church today is 20 to 25 minutes long. We call that an introduction here. <laughs> Maybe, right? That's maybe the introduction. But that is the average. And I was taught this in college. I was taught in college. I don't remember many things from college. I remember don't serve generic soda at youth events and don't preach more than 20 minutes. That was what my money went to. And you don't preach for more than 20 minutes because you've got to pay attention to what? Attention span. Attention span. And that principle is all over Scripture. You know. (laughs) Before you preach, make sure that you gauge the attention span of your people. For some of you, that'd be like a three-minute sermon. <laughs> right? It'd be a three-minute sermon. You, can, you couldn't even make it 20 minutes. You look at sitcoms. I mean, that's why sitcoms are... I remember hearing this rationale. You take the commercials out of a half-hour sitcom, and it's 22 minutes long. And that's what people can handle. And so your sermon needs to be 22 minutes, unless you're going to throw some commercials in there. Some funny stories, and maybe you can stretch it to 30 minutes. This may be what we, what we long for. You sit for way longer than 20 minutes. Some of your eyes just got big. I mean, you know, hour, hour and 15, hour and a half. I think we've almost hit two hours once. Thank you. Thank you. But we don't, in our flesh, 
like to hear God's Word for a long period of time. But sometimes we need to take our time hearing God's Word. Sometimes 20 minutes just won't, just won't cut it. At least I can't do it. There are, there are some. There are pastors that I admire. I hope to get to 35, 40 minutes. And I'm amazed at what they can say in 35 and 40 minutes. And I need like two hours to say the same thing. So thank you for your patience. But it takes time to work through God's Word. It takes time. We're not here to just do uh, devotions. We're not here to just do, 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 do devotions. Let's just read a, read a psalm together and look at a picture of a sunset up on the screen and give you a couple lists of things to do and then, and then go, on your, go on your way. The wrong people would come back for that. Or you want something that's going to spark God's work in your heart. Sometimes that takes, that takes time. People want today dialogue and not monologue. I mean, this is monologuing. This is not very interactive. I don't know if you noticed that. We don't ask a lot of questions. There's not input during this time. It's total monologue, which is great for me because I love to monologue and I love to just talk. It drives my family crazy. You can, we got it, Eric. You know, we got it a while ago. You can stop talking now. But we want dialogue, right? No one likes to be told what to do. Don't, no, we can't tell each other that we like to be told what to do. By nature, we resist being told what to do. One of the things that's become real popular, even in churches over the last 10 years, are house churches. And one of the aspects of not all, but a lot of these house churches is there is no monologue, there's dialogue. And you get to sit down in a group, and it's great. You know, I remember this, this stinking preaching time in my old church where just the pastor just went off for an hour. But now the preaching is so much more beneficial because the preaching is more discussion and dialogue. And we sit around and all ask each other, what do you think the Scriptures say? Which is how cults begin. And how heresy flourishes in a place like that where the preaching of God's word is not valued. But we, we push back against that. That's why people leave the churches like he's going to say. We don't want proclamation. We don't want instruction. We don't want to be told what to do. But if you think about it, that is very much what happens here on a weekly basis. You sit here and I yell at you. I yell at you for an hour, and very often I'm telling you what to do. It doesn't come across, I don't think, like suggestions. We never say, just think about this and, and just see what you think. I mean, it's just, you, you have to do this. And it doesn't matter if you don't want to do it. You just need to suck it up and do it. And you need to be obedient. And you, This is God we're talking about. We're not going to have dialogue about this we're not going to discuss this it's so plain and clear in his word and we need to do it but we push back against that this is what he means when he says that people are going to surround themselves with teachers who what suit their own passions because we want to hear sermons that suit our own passions and good preaching doesn't do that Good, it doesn't. Good preaching is not going to suit your passions, your desires, and your wants. Good preaching will be offensive. It will be offensive. Because God's Word will be offensive. It does not suit your passions to be called wicked and evil. You have here a book where the God that is revealed here is the most loving God you could possibly imagine. But he's a God who is very clear with you and I about who we are as sinners. This is a book where God calls, right? God calls people things like adulterous whores. That does not suit your passions. You don't read in God's word that your behavior is whorish. And think to yourself, oh, that is water to my soul. <laughs> Does not suit your passions. 
But good preaching isn't going to skip those verses, right? And it's not going to skip those realities. And so it's going to be offensive. And if we decide, if we decide to just trade in our cards and say, you know, I would rather have something that suits my own passions, we will go somewhere else. This is why everybody wanted to kill prophets in the Old Testament. This is why some of them died. Remember Jeremiah preached a sermon and when it was done, everybody said, hmm, we want to kill you. We want you to die and never say anything again. And what was it that they didn't like that he said? It was the truth. It was the truth that he said. So the practical application is whether you're here or whether you're somewhere else or whether you're visiting and you're, you're just passing through and, and you're on your way, please end up in a place where the word of God is preached. We'll end the sermon just hitting that again, but... Make sure you're in a place where the word of God is preached. And do not surround yourselves with what your itching ears want to hear. Right, verse 2. Let's end just looking closely here. Verse 2. Preach the word, Paul says to Timothy. Preach the word. Be ready. In season and out of season, reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and with teaching. This aspect of, of fulfilling ministry, verse 5, is primary in Paul's mind. When he tells Timothy to fulfill his ministry among all, all that it means, verses 2 and 5, primarily it means this, preach the word. And we know that by looking at verse 1 right before it. How seriously Paul qualifies what he says to Timothy when he says preach the word. He doesn't just start off saying preach the word. He starts by saying, verse 1, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is the judge, the living and the dead, and by his appearing and his kingdom, preach the word. That's the weight That he wants Timothy to feel. He doesn't just say preach the word. Exclamation point. He doesn't just say preach the word. All caps. Bold text. He says preach the word. But before that he says I I charge you. I charge you. And he says and I'm doing this in the presence of God. He also says not only in the presence of God. But in the presence of Jesus Christ. He says this, though, in the presence of Jesus Christ, who is to judge the living and the dead. He says, Timothy, you are a teacher, you are a preacher, and you are going to be judged by Jesus for how you preach. This is why James 3.1, not many of you should presume to be teachers. Be careful. You should all be teachers, lowercase t. And God's truth should be coming out of your mouth all the time. But not many of us should be presuming to be capital T teachers. Self-presumed teachers. I am a teacher. I am a pastor. I am a preacher. Listen to what I have to say. Because you will be judged more strictly. God says, really? You're a teacher. You just moved yourself into a new category of judgment. So I hope you are. I hope you are. I hope you didn't just read it on a fortune cookie. I hope you just didn't decide this in your own heart. I hope that there's some confirmation. I hope you're in a church. I hope you've got other pastors around you. I hope people are confirming that. I hope you're finding truth in God's word. I hope the Holy Spirit is impressing this on you. Are are you sure? You sure you want to be a teacher? So when he tells Timothy, preach the word, he says, let me me say this in the presence of Jesus. And, And of all the things he could say about Jesus... The hundreds of things he could say about Jesus, he tells and reminds Timothy, Jesus is the judge of the living and the dead. He's judging you now, and when you die, he's going to judge you in regards to what you preached. So you better do it in season and out of season, and don't give up. And then he says, by Jesus appearing and his kingdom. He could not say this more strongly. He calls Timothy to preach the word.
So again, this means to preachers keep preaching. And it means to the congregation, love preaching. Love preaching. Don't despise preaching, whether it's here or somewhere else. If it's preaching of the word, if it's good preaching and it's done the way it's supposed to be done, love it. Seek it. Listen to it. Heed it. Follow it. Desire it. Crave it. Long for it. Preaching. Preach the word. And it means for preachers, and it means this as well. We need, we need more preachers. We need more preachers in the world today. We need more men called by God to publicly proclaim His gospel, His word. Not only the the Romans 10 kind of preachers that we all are when we bring the good news to those who need to hear the good news, but the kind of preachers who will stand in a pulpit in churches and who will make certain of one thing, that whatever the church does and wherever the church goes, the word of God will be preached. And we need more men to be raised up to preach the gospel. I pray, I pray that my boys grow up to preach the gospel. I pray that God calls some of you men to preach the gospel. I pray that God raises up men from among us who will be here for a short while and then they will leave and they will go somewhere else where the gospel is not being preached and they will preach the gospel. And they'll preach it in a church and they'll preach it to a people. And they will preach it to a congregation. And they will do it faithfully. And they'll do it for year after year after year after year after year after year after year. And then they'll die. And they'll just preach. God's kingdom needs a lot of different kinds of people. But be sure, we need preachers. And the state that doctrine is in our day and age. And the state that truth is in our day and age. Well, there may be some things that the church is doing well. You and I know that the truth needs to be proclaimed more clearly and more boldly. And we need preachers. We must preach the word. You know that preaching is primary here. Now hear me say that does not mean I am primary here. Someone else could be doing the same thing that I'm doing and preaching God's word. I happen to be the one who's doing that. But preaching of God's word is primary here. We're not exalting me. We're not looking to me. We're exalting the preaching of God's word. You should be able to see this in anything and everything that we do. I mean, just look at the size and the the, the placement of our pulpit. Front and center. So I can be front and center. So the word of God can be front and center. So the word of God can be preached front and center. Okay, we don't have some wimpy little music stand here. We've got a big old strong pulpit that takes three guys to move. And it's communicated in, in everything that we do. See how much time is devoted to preaching here. See how we pray for the preaching. Even every single week, Pastor Curtis, you'll hear him pray specifically for the preaching of God's word every single week. So see how much time we devote to it. See how we pray for it. See how the service builds up to the preaching and comes down from the preaching. That's on purpose. We believe the most important aspect of a worship service is the preaching of God's Word. It always has been. It always will be. There is an enormous gap. We know this, right? Between us and God. And we need that high view of God restored. And not necessarily a low view of us, but a lower view of us. And a very high view of God. And you need to know and to feel the separation gap that is between us and a high, great, and glorious God. 
And there is nothing better that can happen when we gather together than God to cross that gap and speak to us. And that is what he does through the preaching of his word. The most important thing is not, though don't hear me say it's not important. The most important thing is not that we cross that gap with our prayer and our praise. That is important. And that is glorious. And that is a huge part of our worship service. But the most important part of our worship together is not how we are crossing that gap to pray and to praise God. It is that God crosses that gap through the preaching of His Holy Word and comes down and communicates to us. What is most vital for us is that God crosses the separation gap through the preaching of His Word. So it feels like that here on purpose. Because we value the preaching of God's Word. And we always, we always will. Richard Baxter said, It is no small matter to stand up in the face of a congregation and deliver a message of salvation or damnation as from the living God in the name of our Redeemer. It is no easy matter to speak so plain that the ignorant may understand us, and so seriously that the deadest hearts may feel us, and convincingly that contradicting cavillers may be silenced." Historically, the last 2,000 years, when the preaching of God's Word is prominent, the church has flourished. Likewise, when the preaching of God's Word is not prominent, the church fails. Fails. Goes on life support. And you know how it is always always been put back on track through the preaching of God's Word. Through faithful men who, in spite of what people wanted to hear, preached God's Word faithfully. And through faithful men and women who committed to that preaching and said, this is what we need and this is what we want to hear more of and this is what we believe is faithfulness in the church today. The last statistic I heard was that in America, over 3,000 churches close every year. And one thing can be said in common for every single one of them. Not one of them has the preaching of God's Word central. We must preach God's Word. Timothy preached the Word. John 12, 32, And I... Jesus says, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. Jesus says he's going to build his church. We don't have to worry about building his church. What Christians need to worry about is getting in the way. This is where we screw up when we get in the way. Jesus says, I will build my church. He says, preach, preach. Preach. If I myself may be lifted up, I will draw all people to myself. You better be you better have a pulpit, you know, get it up high, get it nice and big, get a pastor behind there at the very least, and make sure that he's preaching Jesus and preaching the gospel. You don't get anything else right, get that right, it's gonna it's gonna work out. It's gonna work out. I will draw people to myself. Just don't just don't get in the way. Or Psalm 127, 1, I read this this week. Unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. We want the Lord to build this house. And the Lord will build His house through the preaching of His Word. And so we follow Paul's admonition to Timothy to preach the Word. This is how our ministry must be fulfilled here at Veritas. As a family, we'll take communion together now. And we'll think, we'll think, hopefully, we'll think about what 
we have heard from God's Word. And we'll think about the implications on our life. And we'll think about what obedience would look like now. And we'll think about repenting. And we'll think about celebrating God's good grace. Let's pray together. Our Father in heaven, we do thank you for the time that you've given us today to worship you. And it has been a blessing, Father, to pray to you. It has been a blessing to praise you. But we know that we would have nothing to pray about. We would have no praise to give if you had not crossed over and spoken to us through your word. So God, may we keep the proclamation of your word and your truth central. Central in our own hearts, central in our families, and central in our churches. And may we, God, with your help, lift you up so that you would draw others unto you. God, we pray that you would be the builder of this house, that we would not devise our own plans apart from you and your word, only to find out that we build a house that will come crashing down. But Lord, we ask that you would build the house. We thank you for the cross. We thank you for the gospel, the good news that Jesus has been sent and has lived perfectly, has suffered, who was without sin and yet died in our place, suffering the punishment for our sin. And we lift him up now and we worship him in thankfulness and gratitude, knowing that we would have nothing apart from Christ. We pray this in His holy name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this free audio podcast by Veritas Church. For more audio and video, please visit veritas-truth.com.